HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Whole Foods Market. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. I'm Dave Arnold, host of Cooking Issues. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. The Speakeasy is produced by Heritage Radio Network, a nonprofit, member-supported radio station devoted to all things food and beverage. Help keep HRN alive by becoming a member today. Go to HeritageRadioNetwork.org and click the beating heart to donate. Do it now, and I'll love so you So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm your host, Damon Bolte. Along with me is... My name is Southern Teague. There he is. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It's a beautiful day in Brooklyn and... Hot. It's hot. It is very hot. You, you've only had water today. I'm on my second beer, dude. Well, I gotta work. Yeah, well, you know, this... Yeah, we're working right now. <laughs> okay. If you even call it that. Um, it is a pleasure to have our guest in today. Um... There's a really amazing uh, vermouth company based out of, uh, well, the, the offices are in Red Hook, and uh, they just recently expanded to a farm, and I, I think it, it's Welcome, really, Bianca. Yeah, we got it. From Uncouth Vermouth. <laughs> Hello. 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 Um, so, yeah, you're doing some expansion. You've taken over a farm, big farm, upstate. It's not big, but it is upstate. It's um, 16 acres, but a lot of it is, is forest, so which is great for a forager. And then I have a handful of acres of meadow where I've planted around um, 50 different edible species so far. And we're putting in a cherry orchard, um, some quince and fig trees and pawpaws and persimmon and all kinds of awesome, delicious fruits. Everything you're planting is uh, you're, you're you're aiming towards making into vermouth. Um, for the most part, I mean, like a different array of aperitifs and digestifs. Awesome. Um, your history uh, involves some bot- botanical, right? Do you have a, like a horticulture uh, background? Um, sort of. I grew up with a mother who is a plant whisperer, and we would grow a lot of our fruits and vegetables just in our backyard growing up and we would go hiking and you know point out different plants and things and then I sort of got really into it when I moved back to New York 
in 2009 because I was kind of going crazy from being stuck in the city all the time. When did you, like, okay, so first of all, when did you make your first batch of vermouth? In 2011. Okay. And was your goal with that to, I mean, were you like kicking around the cocktail world first and foremost and thought that was a good idea, something that needed to be made for, for the market and for the different bars? Or was it something that you just thought was such a cool, unique ingredient that it should be uh, kind of like drunk on its own? Where, where was your direction with that? Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of that kind of came later. At, at first, I was making vermouth just for some cocktail pop-ups, and I was making vermouth just like everybody else. I was using sugar and citrus and vanilla and all kinds of shit that grows nowhere near here. Um, but the irony is I have, you know, a winemaking background and a sustainable winemaking background. And so I, you know, decided to combine my love of foraging and see if it were possible to come up with an actual vermouth, like a real vermouth that is made with ingredients that are in season and they're not pelletized and not extracts and without using sweeteners and, you know, approaching it from like a winemaker point of view rather than like a cocktail mixer. Mm -hmm. But you're kind of mixing a cocktail in a bottle, right? I think it's vermouth that way always. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's already sort of a cocktail. Um, yeah, I mean, fortified wine, I guess, uh, if that's the case, then you could look at sherry as a cocktail. Absolutely. You know, uh, pour it as its own cocktail. I mean, it. it uh, I think I think that it's, you know, squares and rectangles. It's kind of like, you know, when when you have like a, like a cronut, you know, you've got like, <laughs> like a, you've got a pastry over here and a pastry over here. And they're two pastries, but then you make them into another pastry. That's what, like, mixing, you know, like your sherry and your vermouth together, the bamboo, is basically two different cocktails. That already stand that, on their own. They stand on their own, and you're mixing them together. Well, I mean, anciently, and vermouth has been around, as far as we know, for over 8,000 years. Yeah. And it's just like any other recreational drug. It started out as medicine. So the idea of adding a you know fruit spirit a higher in alcohol fruit spirit was so that it would live longer you know uh, whereas wine oxidizes much more quickly once you open a bottle mm-hmm. i think like there's a well just go into the farm thing i think it's really cool i, I grew up on a farm and then I moved to the city and I, I really thought it was cool and strange to see so many and hear about so many people who were like living in the city where I was like, I got to get to the city. And then some people are like, man, I got to get to the farm. Yeah. It's, it's always, grass is always greener right? on the other side of the farm. The worm, uh, the wormwood's always greener. Yeah. So let's <laughs> talk about the farm. You're, um, you're known for foraging for a great percentage of the things that go into your vermouth and they're all different and seasonal. Um, and now you're going to grow that stuff. Is that crossing some weird bridge? Are you still... So now you're, you're, you know, you're, you're growing the things that you used to just go seek out and find. No, is that, that going to change I'm, the direction of your vermouth making? Well, I'm, I'm still foraging every ingredient that I would normally forage. Uh, the, you know, I, th- I think that's something that we need to kind of get to the bottom of is, is everything involving something going into a bottle. There's going to be a big element of, of some sort of earthly manipulation, right? So when I'm foraging, that's kind of like the most sustainable possible practices I can use. Plus, ingredients that grow wild tend to, you know, be more aromatic. They're, you know, growing in the forest, whereas on my farm, I'm mimicking the forest, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm practicing permaculture, but it's still a manipulation of the earth, which is crossing a line for me in a way. 
But um, what I can find wild, I'll still find wild. And, you know, things that I was, you know, had been sourcing from farmers in the area, I'm going to start growing myself, with the exception of a few things that are just too big, you know, that I don't have a big enough um, space for, or maybe the space that I have isn't in the sun enough or what, you know, I mean, it just takes so many different uh, ingredients, so to speak, or really like mental preparation in order to actually do a good job. You have to do so much homework in order to properly plant and know what's supposed to go where and when you pick it and all of that shit. Whereas when you forage, you're like, well, this is here. I'm just going to grab it. You know, like, (laughs) right, exactly. Like good haul today. Grab it when you see it, right. (laughs) Yeah. It's, you know, it's completely different. And I mean, the goal for both of those is so that, you know, my ingredients are making themselves and so that rather than having the stress of needing to source the things I need, I can just walk out my back door and I can have them, whether they're in the woods or, you know, in the fencing of my of my farm acres. Um, but like I was saying with mimicking the forest, you know, it's not like digging up the earth and, you know, putting in plants. It involves a lot of layering. So you layer with, you know, mulch and soil and straw and soil and more straw and like all of these layers so that when you build these things they're incorporating better nutrients into the ground underneath creating a healthier subsoil you know which is basically mimicking what they do in the forest so straw instead of dead leaves you Mm. know so it's kind of like Mm. i'm really just kind of copying what happens naturally and strategically planting things in sunny spots that's that's really cool, man. That that is cool. I, I guess the question I was trying to get to is is um, I know that a lot of your vermouths have particular flavor profiles that you approach. I remember there was butternut squash. There was uh, there was one that was apple apple mint. I think it was. Yeah, that's the one I brought today. Actually. Oh, cool. Yeah, um, good guess on my part. Um, <laughs> but I feel like your uh, approach before was to go and and forage. So it would kind of be like, well, I found this, so that's the flavor I'm going to make. But now you're growing things, so you can plan the flavors you're going to make. Is that is that more the direction that the... Well, for ingredients like apple mint, you can definitely find that shit wild. I mean, most most of the ingredients I use are weeds or barks or roots, you know. I mean, mo- most of the stuff I'm using you can kind of find, but then there are certain things like, you know, like you mentioned the butternut squash. The butternut squash is a really great example of what the fuck am I going to do all winter and stay in business? And so you have to get creative and you have to use ingredients that are available in New York in winter, which for, you know, a state with not the longest growing season, you know, and, and especially since we don't have access to citrus fruit and, you know, different things that kind of, you know, that kind of make it really easy um, to create a plant composition because you can, you can, easily get the acid and the sugar you want by adding citrus and actual sugar and so my job gets a little difficult as the seasons go on to keep plant compositions going and still maintain a balance Um, but as far as like you know the they're not really main ingredients I'm not using more of one thing than the other I'm just kind of like referring to them after an ingredient I'm willing to admit Uh, vermouth is has always been you know a sacred formula and You know, shrouded in secrecy. Yeah, there are only ever a couple of ingredients I'm willing to admit to. Got it. Um, well, you, you've got a bottle of apple mint right there. Are we going to taste some? Yeah, please. Crack it open. <laughs> um, I got to go foraging a couple of summers ago uh, in Prospect Park, which was a really interesting experience. Um, with I hope uh, you didn't eat anything. I didn't. Okay, good. 
I just, I just like, I had a flask and uh, a free afternoon. And there's this guy named Wildman Steve, uh, and he's like very well known for like foraging. And his have daughter, you read his book? I have a couple of them. They're pretty awesome. <laughs> the only issue with with books like these, and um, and I and I think that Steve is, you know, from from what I've absorbed about him is is a pretty wonderful character but you can't eat what you pick in central and prospect park <laughs> they spray more than an industrial farm like it's not food you yeah, know yeah. it's not food it's shell coated with <laughs> with pesticides <laughs> like do you ever wonder why when you're laying on the lawn in central park you're not getting eaten by mosquitoes <laughs> yeah <laughs> right that's, that's why <laughs> yeah absolutely they're, they're crop dusting the the parks in new york <laughs> yeah, it was a it was a fun trip, but I definitely didn't anything. I like I said, I just drank a bunch of herbal liqueurs and walked around like a <laughs> like a freaking homeless man in the the park. It was so much fun. I'm surprised it, you weren't tripping. That would have been maybe a little. I, more I fun. never said I wasn't. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Truth comes out. Okay, uh, so we have this beautiful vermouth in hand. Talk to so, us about it and talk to us about the inspiration, um, and then and then we'll talk some more. Uh, so, so this vermouth has three different types of mint. It's a talk show. I often call it apple mint, which is really like the worst possible name because there are no apples. <laughs> it's a type of mint. It's very confusing. But I often use uh, Chardonnay-based wine for this. This happens to be a single vineyard Chardonnay in a very oceanic location on the North Fork of Long Island called the Sargon Vineyard. So it's pretty salty, uh, oh, which yeah. is really cool. Yeah, savory. And, um, yeah, and, and, you know, a lot of people are afraid to have... You know, not to say like a real martini, but really a real vermouth cocktail where it's mostly vermouth. And that's because more people are leaning towards bitter drinks and are shying away from super syrupy cocktail drinks. And also, um, you know, just looking for something lower in alcohol. And, you know, it's a healthy trend that's kind of been happening all throughout not only our country, but many countries that I've visited lately. And so I wanted something that was going to encourage people to not be afraid to have more vermouth, you know, in a drink, particularly like a gin-based drink. And I wanted people to be able to drink something on its own and, you know, still feel good about it. So this was one of the first vermouths I released. I'm on the 15th batch. Oh. And, um, and how, you know, the big question, how, how big are the batches? People love to know that. So this bottling was the largest batch that I had ever bottled, which was 100 cases. 100 <laughs> cases. So I still of mean three, dick uh, to the universe. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Very small. Yeah. 100 cases in your bottle size is a 375, right? So. 500. Oh, it's yeah. a 500. Mm -hmm. All right. <clears throat> yeah, it's pretty silly. Uh, so I'm still very tiny. But that's how it goes when you're one person and you don't have investment money behind you. You know, you just have to grow with whatever cash you have. And you have to be comfortable with the level you're at because at least you can still handle it. Right. Let's talk a little bit about that, actually. You, you're you're a one-lady show. like Yeah, it's a one, one human operation. I recently have had repeated help, I say, more than once. Someone uh, that you know, like the same person or two have been helping me bottle, which is like a really big step <laughs> for me, <laughs> but I'm, st I'm still, you know, making all of the vermouth and then I'm taking another grown up step, um, and renovating this small house that's on my land upstate for a friend of mine who is in the industry as well and makes meads and ciders and is also a forager. And he's going to be kind of living up there and helping me, 
learn how to be, you know, an outright farmer. Mm. It's uh, like I was saying, it's completely different life than just walking into the woods or driving around and, and seeing what you see. It's it's a you know, it's like having a newborn baby. Like I, I was up this morning with the sun watering plants before I drove down to the city. <laughs> it's wow. like for real farm life. <laughs> farm I can living. teach you all about being a farmer. <laughs> Number one. Get sunburns from like, <laughs> half down, down your bicep, yeah. down your arm. Uh, usually just on your left arm from hanging out the hanging window of the truck. Yeah, that's right. And then the bottom of your ass cheek from the rip in your pants, right? Yeah, totally. Uh, I have a dog named Spot or Tex or Shooter or something like that. Uh, we had a dog named Damn It. Get over here, Damn It. Get over here, Damn It. And learn how to uh, make sure that whenever you're... Uh, when you're throwing your beer can out the window, you have to you have to make sure that you catch the perfect wind, kind of, so that it arcs, so it right, arcs to the and goes the right to the bed of the truck. <laughs> and what bat do you recommend I use when I'm driving down the road in my pickup truck? For, for mailboxes or mailboxes, people. exactly. <laughs> standard Louisville Slugger. Right? Yeah, standard Louisville Slugger <laughs> <laughs> works for everything. I've already started Classic. writing songs about rain and and uh, you know freight train whistles. <laughs> <laughs> um, so. You do all of this on your own. You just so you said you started in 2011. So you're you're five years old. Well, I start. That was the first batch of. That was the question for the first batch of vermouth I ever made. Um, you know, commercially, I didn't re- release a batch until into 2013 because oh, okay. we had a little bit of bad weather in Red Hook around the launch of my company. Um, mm, yeah, Sandy. <laughs> yeah, that's a little bit of bad weather. Yep. Uh, a super a super storm they think they're calling it. Yeah. <laughs> In Red Hook we know it as a fucking hurricane. Um, but anyway, so so my yeah I mean my first commercial release wasn't until 2013. But theoretically speaking, my company just turned four. Okay. Like yeah. But your company again is you. Yeah. And hundred percent. You you, you, so you just you, turned four. Yeah. You, happy Yay. birthday. Happy birthday. You. Where's my? This was your. Cake? This was your largest batch thus far. I'll bake you a cake. <laughs> this was your largest batch thus far. I, I'm kind of winding around to the question, like, how how much have you total produced by yourself? Um, last oh, like total for yeah. the, year, the whole all the years. Yeah. I don't know, but last year I think I made almost 600 cases and. This year, I'm hoping to make also that many. A uh, big issue with this year, you know, there's always an issue, which is why I have 10, you know, so that if I have like a shitty harvest for an ingredient that was crucial, I can make something else that season and not go out of business, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you have 10, but, 10 varieties, is what you mean? 10 varieties of your Yeah, and last year I made eight of them. Mm-hmm. You know, there were two due to weather last year that I couldn't make, and then this year sucks because we had a really early spring. It was super hot the first week in March. And then we had a fucking frost. Yeah. So everything flowered and then froze. Right. And so most people don't have any fruit at all upstate. It's really uh, quite tragic. There are all the peach farmers, for instance, who can't do any peach business for the entire season, um, which you can imagine, you know, how much of their livelihood that means. And a lot of people have had to, who are usually more you know, land responsible have had to use some pretty heinous chemicals to make sure that the fruit that they do have does survive. So that puts me in a shitty position. And as you guys know me, I'm not one to compromise my own practices. So, you know, that affects my business as well. So my life is ruled by nature, which means it's ruled by humans because humans are fucking up nature. Wow. And chaos. Yeah. (laughs) That's true. Right. Um, (laughs) 
because also I don't think we've mentioned on the show today, um, but you uh, you have a, a, a source radius that you that you don't go out of, right? How how big is that? Yeah, kind of. I mean, it depends because you know some of the grapes um, will source from the Finger Lakes region, which is pretty fucking far up there. I mean, it's damn near in Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, but for all of my uh, you know edible plants. Uh, which I always like to point out to make sure that they're edible when people are making vermouth, is, um, you know, not outside of 100 miles. And that would be a stretch. So 10 products, 100-mile radius, and just you. Yeah, and that's not counting the three vintages of Amari batches I have in barrel. Right. We haven't talked about that. Right. Yeah. Is that how far away is that from It's never being released. (laughs) No, I just, I want it to age for a really long time. Um, Never say never. (laughs) I know. But it's, but people ask me about it a lot. That's why I stopped talking about it because I'm like, fuck, even if I do release it, I don't have that much, you know? Like, I'm not rich enough to be sitting on that much product. (laughs) So it's like what I can make. Um, But it's local Cardoon based, you know, ancient Mm -hmm. artichoke. A lot of people think the product Cardamaro is made with cardamom, but it's actually Cardoon. Cardoon. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so I wanted to make an after dinner and Amaro, a digestif that didn't contain more than one kind of sugar or even one and caramel coloring and extracts instead of plants. You know, I wanted to try it out and see what I could get away with making you know, using my own practices that I apply, you know, to the vermouth. So in lieu of sweetener, Van Brunt Stillhouse and Kings County Distillery um, sold me a bunch of their used five and 10 gallon barrels. And so I used freshly emptied bourbon and rye barrels instead of adding sweetener hmm. to the batches. And um, uh, it worked. So I'm happy about that. And so, you know, I mean, of course, my tolerance for sweets is probably a little lower than a lot of other people particularly americans um (laughs) but but you know we'll give it a shot it's uh it's it's going great and i just don't want to release it too soon and then not have you know enough to keep the solera system going right are you you tasting it as it goes thiefing some out when i remember to which is generally like every several months (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Amazing. Um, and, and you did name it, though, right? A little narcissistic name. Bianca Morrow. Bianca. Because it's going to be a white. It's yeah. going to take it's on a, some color from yeah. the barrel, but it's still going to be pretty white. But it's right? a white white wine-based. Yeah. Amazing. Amaro. Yeah. And made, honestly, you know, I deal in that world a lot, and, and it sounds to me like you're you're winding back the clock and making making product the way that it was made, the way that sort of should be made. For sure. And unfortunately, just isn't anymore based on economics and things like you just described, you know, the chaos that is weather and, and nature and Well, and, and, the, and the trade system, you know, the trade system is bullshit. Like, it's insane to me that you can buy Mexican carrots in a grocery store instead of buying carrots grown in new york which literally grow here all fucking year you know there i mean there are just so many things that take a lot of weight and are sitting on you know shelves in grocery stores that you know grow several miles away from us and i think that's nuts i think that you know exotic products would be a little more tolerable for me on an industrial level if you know we weren't already like creating you know so much 
you know, just mileage and shit sitting on trucks for a week and, you know, not making healthy food available to people. And, you know, all, all of this is stuff that I struggle with, you know, ethically, just personally on a daily basis. And, you know, I need to be able to feel good about what I'm doing at the end of the day, ultimately, you know, I mean, we're all hypocrites, but (laughs) (laughs) we are all hypocrites. There's no getting around it, especially in the, you know, the mega metropolis that we live in. Yeah. And so, so I don't grow that big, you know, right away. So I'm looking at a fucking 20 year plan instead of a five year plan where people sell their, you know, alcohol companies for millions of dollars. I don't give a shit. Like I actually like what I'm doing. I want to spend my time doing this every day. I like hard work and physical results and, and I can do it. I can make vermouth without sweeteners or coloring agents or extracts or pelletized plants and, you know, sweeteners like I can. So I feel like I have no other choice. Yeah. Now, we obviously have listeners that are far and wide. I, I don't think I've ever asked you this. How far does your vermouth go? Uh, currently, the furthest it goes is Norway and France. Uh, soon cool. to be in six other countries, hopefully by the end of the year, if I have a good enough summer. Otherwise, it'll be next year. And I'm in uh, uh, 12 states. Wow. Great. That's amazing. So it's small, but I want to be worldly. So, you know, you have to you have to get your stuff out there and you know, even if you only have a little bit to spread around, I think that it's better than saturating your own backyard. Right. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. I mean, that's a I think that's a uh, obviously it's working. It's a it's a good slow growth model. Um yeah. You know, the I I I say the name uncouth vermouth and people people recognize it, so I think it's I think it's awesome. That's cool. <laughs> well, it's, They're like that bitch. <laughs> it's also just cool, like, aptly named, uncouth. <laughs> it's just cool to see that, like that, it's something, something that has forever been like a product that sat dusty on the shelf, you know, and not really like a very, a very misunderstood product for decades and decades, uh, as far as like being in a bar, uh, you know, in the well. Uh, it's cool to see that you can come out with these really unique products that, to me, I mean, I get the base of vermouth, but it, there's so much more than that. There's like, there's a real art and craft to it, you know? It's, they're, they're totally unique. Uh, you know, we're having the apple and mint one, but like the butternut squash one is so cool, man. It's so, so weird. unique. It's like, it's, it's, a, it's its own thing. It's like, it's almost hard to call it a vermouth, you know? But, uh. I think that's cool that it's grown to a point where you can take a product like that and then expand on it the way you have. Right. Yeah. And I think it's a testament to your own sort of ethics and ethos um, that, you're, that you're so sticking to your guns. And I, I, I hope that people hear that come across today because yeah. um, I'd like to see people follow in your footsteps, even people who've gone too far down the sort of darker path. Maybe they could turn around a little bit and not use pelletized product and you know, make a smaller batch this year and sacrifice a little bit of money to make something more quality. Honestly, I totally get it. It sucks. You have a decision. You can do something cool or you can make money, you know, and that's, that's usually the rare to the two line, cross you know? paths. Yeah. And, you know, for me, it's like, I've been sitting on the phone for weeks trying to find, you know, cherries where there was no fungicide. And, you know, because of the shitty spring we had, I had to wait several months, you know, I have to wait till autumn to plant my own cherry trees. So I'm probably not even going to have fruit next year. And I'm going to be doing this again, fucking next year. And, you know, I get it. Like I'm so much of my time is communicating, micromanaging, like, you know, I, I mean, it really, it really is 
far beyond a full-time job. And, and if I were a smart business person, I would have made one thing, maybe two, and I would produce once a year, not 16. <laughs> and, you know, like I, I'm in production all year round, like, you know, winemakers for the most part they're in production and and then they spend the bulk of the rest of the year traveling and selling their wine you know which is like a a really wonderful way to balance your time out and and you know still have something to sell uh but for the life that i signed up for it's you know it's just a different it's just a different decision yeah Yeah, well you're in production all the time and i've noticed that you've been doing i follow your twitter and stuff i've noticed or your uh, instagram at least and you've been doing some traveling as well are those sales trips or or always yeah always Always for work uh which is great i love it it's a i mean it it's kind of like sometimes i feel like i'm in alcoholic prison (laughs) because you go on like so many trips and there are just so many events every single night and you know you have to like wake up and like still try to be pretty and 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 energetic and and socially you know conscious and and not terribly awkward and we all know i have a hard time with that to begin with (laughs) so so it gets really difficult and then when you bring in other languages into play it gets really really difficult and um you know so so it's it's been really cool like a great way to see the world but there are some days where i'm like oh my gosh all i want to do is just fuck off and like go to a museum and and not work at all you know but there's rarely any time for that not that i'm complaining i get to drive by (laughs) <laughs> I drove by the museum. Yeah. It looked pretty from the outside. <laughs> Musée d'Orsay. Yeah. Oh, pretty. Maybe next year. <laughs> so do you uh, allow people to come by the shop in Red Hook to uh, visit? Yeah. Um, no, I love visitors. You can come visit the farm, too. And Red Hook, the tasting room, is open on Saturdays and Sundays from 1 to 8 p.m. And anything that's currently in bottle is always available to taste. And uh you know, I also sell some really awesome wines that um, my colleague and one of my mentors, who's a natural winemaker in southwest France, his name is Laurent Cazot. And so, you know, just kind of bringing in some natural wine for the people, um, you know, having it uh, shipped over in uh, larger containers, you know, hectoliters and such, and uh, bottling them in liter bottles and selling them for only $15, which is like, if you guys, you know, are into wine at all, it's like an absolutely ridiculous deal That's for the crazy. quality. So, um, so it's good. So I have like a few things to sell in the shop and, uh, you know, whatever vermouth is available, the hippie fucking soaps I make, you know, you can, you can come by and (laughs) put a nice little package together. That's awesome. What's what's the address of the shop again? It's 250 Van Brunt street in Red Hook, Brooklyn, which is one, one, two, three, one. Awesome. Cool. And the website is uncouthvermouth.com. Go check it out. You can get all the information about our products and Yeah. Thanks for coming on the show today. Yeah. Thanks for bringing this awesome vermouth. Um, really excited to see what happens with the farm. Right? That's like that's huge. You and I need to make, we need to plan a trip and go up there. We're, we're going to do it. Yeah, you can film a show from there. Awesome. We'll record one. We don't film. <laughs> yeah, but it's the reason why we do radio, not TV. Yeah. I mean, look at this. Yeah. Thanks nobody for nobody wants guys. to see this. No, yeah. All right. Well, thanks again, Bianca, for coming on the show today. Uh, until next week, uh, check out uncoodformuth.com and check out heritageradionetwork.org for many other programs like this. I'm Damon. My name is Souther. And that's it for the speakeasy. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Cheers. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The devil runs his groove in the rhythm and blues that sound. Today's program is proudly brought to you by Whole Foods Market. 
America's healthiest grocery store, with more than 400 locations throughout the United States. Download the Whole Foods Market app on your smartphone for recipes, sales, information, and digital coupons. Or visit WholeFoodsMarket.com to find a store closest to you. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. Some knowledge.